we're studying church history and we're studying a part of America that many people don't even know about. I don't. I mean, unless you've really studied history, but we're studying basically one of our textbooks is John T. Christian's The History of the Baptist, but this is only... Maybe I should turn around that camera to show you how much it is. There's probably 250 to 300 history books over there. And so as I'm reading this, it uh, is only just a short, just a brief amount of information compared to what is over there. And I will bring in some of them. Here's a book here. When we get into uh, the 1800s, around the 1850s, we're going to go on to this book some. We've gone into uh, uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church when we went through uh, from 325 as we see the what we call the evolution of Catholicism. Uh, Catholicism in, the very, in 325 A.D. was almost the truth, except they married the church to the state. There's a lot of things that happened during that period of time, like I said, that they canonized the scriptures, what, tried to figure out what scriptures were really valid and what weren't. Uh, we have 66 books, and of course they, the Catholic Church has the Apocrypha also. And I encourage you to read the Apocrypha just for history alone, if nothing else, at least the books of First and Second Maccabees. The uh, period of time that we're talking about is around 1800 in America, about 1800. Now, during the time in 1800, there were several preachers that were very emotional. They preached very emotional messages. And the people got quite emotional. Like I've said, Satan, if you go back and start church, starting studying church history, you have to go all the way back in eternity past. Because you find out that Satan, when he rebelled against God, and he had one-third of the angelic powers and one-third of the spiritual forces, what we call spirits, that are called demons now. And once the Lord called out his church in Matthew 16, 18, he said, you're Peter, you're a little stone, but upon this gigantic stone myself, I'll be building my church, and the gates of hell shall not wrestle her down. Now it says there, the gates of hell would not, but the gates of hell have tried. In every way... That is possible. Satan has tried to, to diminish God's people in the work and things and to take them away from the Word of God. The Word of God is the foundation of everything that we know. People out there, please, there is no more revelations today. There is no more revelation. The revelation finished with the book of Revelation. So many people... Uh, they judge the Bible by what they feel and what they what they have experienced, not by what the Bible says. I judge I judge my experiences religiously according to what the Bible says. We know that there's demon spirits in the world today. That we know that there are angelics. We know that we have guardian angels, and we know that there are evil angels around. And some people have experienced uh, demonic forces. Uh, we, we talk about here in Nevada, in the Mesbaugh Hotel, in the Goldfield Hotel, there is a, uh, quite a history of ghosts there. 
And ghosts are not ghosts. Ghosts are demon spirits. And demons, they, they proclaim and like homestead an area where, they act, where they're active in some places. I think they're very active in Washington, D.C. right now. Demons do not want to leave. They, they seek to dwell in human or animal flesh, and they don't like to leave their territory. Now, we know those things. But also, among real, demons are real, spirits are real, angels are real, and we have to realize whatever we do, we have to judge everything we experience by the Word of God. And I mean judging it by the Word of God, not by what we think. You don't take the Bible and open up and read a scripture out of it and say, oh, this is for me today. You interpret the scripture according to who's speaking, who's he speaking to, and what's the subject. Always that. So many preachers preach messages, topical messages, they'll take a piece of scripture and they'll twist it into what they want it to say today. That's not what you do. I mean, you can do that, yes. But let the people know it's application, not interpretation. And that's why we have so many confused people out there today. It's because of confused application and interpretation. You can make the Bible teach anything you want to if you take it out. Judas went out and hung himself. Do thou what likewise? Okay. Maybe you didn't get that. Judas went out and hung himself. Do thou likewise? Now that's not... It says that in the Bible. But we've taken two different scriptures from two different places and tried to use it. But that's what so many people do today. Now, during this period of time of great revival in America, there was a lot of false revival. There was a lot of false interpretation of scriptures. There was a lot of weak biblical interpretation. And it and it, and emotionalism carried it away and demons got involved. As simple as that. Now there was a great revival and that's good. But we need a revival according to knowledge, not feeling. The revival in America had an especially happy effect on the Baptists in disposing them to make more efforts to heal some unhappy divisions that existed among them and enlarging the spirit of missions. Heretofore, the missionary operations had been confined to sending their ministers to look after the destitute brethren in Kentucky and the adjacent borders of Tennessee, Indiana, and Ohio. You don't think of these places as wilderness today, but they were wildernesses back then. This was wilderness. And the Baptists went into wildernesses so they could have religious freedom. But in 1801, at the meeting of the Elkhorn Association, which comprised one-third of the Baptists in the state, and probably more than two-thirds of their wealth and influence, a request came from the uh, South Elkhorn Church to send missionaries to the Indian nations. Now remember, we still have an Indian wars now. But what had happened among the American Indians? False religion had gone among them and enslaved them. Women were raped. 
Men were neutered even. Indian men, that is. By the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church would go and they would baptize all these people and then they would enslave them. In uh, 1539 and 40, in uh, Mississippi, the Spanish came in there and brought all their hogs with them. The Spanish always drove a, a herd of hogs with them, probably a thousand, two thousand hogs. And that was portable food. They just drove it along with them. Well, the hogs went into the, those were civilized nations back there. The Chickasaws, the Cherokees, Creeks, all of those were of the civilized tribes. They lived in houses and they lived on great plantations. And they grew corn and wheat, etc. And they had great orchards of all kinds, uh, uh, nut orchards and fruit orchards of all kinds. America is feeding the world today from what the American Indians had developed here, the potatoes, tomatoes, the corn, etc. And so when they went among these people, they were not living in teepees and nomadic. They were sedentary and farmers. When they went in there, the Catholic Church went among the uh, Chickasaw Nation in 1539. In the winter, they stayed there, and the Indians put up with them. The Chickasaw, this is my family, by the way, on the Chickasaw side of my family. And then in the springtime, they wanted to make slaves out of the warriors. That didn't work. They rebelled against the Catholicism. You know, they were listening to them uh, read their book to them and everything, and, and they, 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 they liked the message, but they didn't like the messengers. Well, that went in to all along the California coast, all along through America, and every place they put in state churches, the Presbyterians, Methodists, and Catholics, all in these Indian schools that made slaves out of the Indians, beat the Indians, killed them by the hundreds, hundreds of graves. And of course, when you go among this with false religion, the Indians say, we like the message, but we don't like the messenger, and so they fought hard. To, to retain their lands and their freedom. And we, we are losing our freedoms in America today. We need to fight hard to keep it. The American Indians should have had a whole lot better border patrol. Simple as that. Here, in those days. <clears throat> it says the revival, however, was not confined to this section, but extended to every part of the Union. The, the Baptists wanted to go among the Indian people and try to recover some soundness of the messenger and the message. I remember my Greek and Hebrew teacher, Dr. H.T. Hubbard. His, fa his father, M.B. Hubbard, went among the Indians in the Indian Territory when they were living there. He was born there, back in that area, and was raised. And he went among the Indian people to be a missionary. And one day, Travis came home, and uh, his father was sitting by the stove just praying and looking at the Bible, just praying and looking at the Bible. He just looked despondent. And 
Brother Hubbard asked him, he says, Father, what's wrong? He said, we have destroyed these people. The former messengers have destroyed these people. The message that we try to give them, they don't want to hear because of what was done to them before. And he said, these people before believed in God. And now they become atheists almost in many of the beliefs because of us, because of what we've done to them as, as a religionist. Not the Baptists, but what, what the Presbyterians did, what the Catholic Church had done. My family, on the Chickasaw side, they had Indian schools back there too. The Cherokees had Indian schools. The Lakotas. They went into these Indian schools and they were beaten. And they were molested. And then they became alcoholics and non-believers. Hard lives. And how do you repair this? That's what they wanted to do in 1801. They tried in 1801, but still the government was allowing these state churches to go in states in the areas in these Indian territory and to basically enslave them, beat them. There was a, a, in one Indian school in Carlisle, you walked into the the school there, it says, kill the Indian, save the man. Kill everything that was Indian and save the man. The minutes of the Georgia Association in 1803, Jesse Mercer appended the following note, doubtless there is a glorious revival in the religion of Jesus. The wicked of every description have been despoiled and their uh, boasted coat of mail, even deists who stood in the front of the battle have had their right arm broken and their hopes disappointed and their prognostications and metamorphosed into falsehood. As a fruit of this work, there have been added to the churches of Georgia Association more than 1,400 men, to those of Sarepta more than a 1,000 a year ago, and we doubt not that the number has greatly increased by this time, actually 375, and have been added to the Srepta in 1803. While for the years of 1801, 2, and 3, there were added to the churches and the Srepta Association 1803 by baptism. Now, these people are really, the Baptist people, with sound preaching, are really multiplying like the Presbyterians and the Methodists were with these uh, slaying in the spirit meetings where they would fall down and bark like dogs and, and climb trees and do all kinds of stuff, just go wild, slaying in the spirit. Now this happened in the late 1790s to early 1800s. To those of the Bethel, a South Carolina Association, more than 2,000, there is and continues a great work in some of the churches in Hafizbah and Savannah Association and is kind, kindly in others. More than 100 have been added to one church in Charleston Association. We are authorized to say that to 60 associations in Kentucky there are at least 10,000 young converts. 
America was in a revival. A lot of it throwed so much through so much confusion among the churches they didn't know what they were even doing. Now the last few messages we talked about them going out there and people uh, uh, being chained to trees. And they had posts where they held on. They laid these posts. Of, well, they hold on when they went into these fits when they were going in, into the spirit world, they said. The spirit world they were going in is not the Holy Spirit world. It was the spirit of error that sowed dissension and error among these people for a long time. And still it is in the charismatic group today with great confusion. And I know many of them that, that just... They do this because they think they're doing the right thing. To all of which we add the other accounts from different distant parts, verbally received the same, and the Lord is doing excellent things on earth. There was a great awakening in the Baptist Church of Boston under the pastoral care of Samuel Stillman in the Baptist Magazine of 1804 and 1805, and this work is such described. Now, the people that we have out there in the Presbyterian and in the Methodist sections are what we call holy rollers. And I want to go back and add this to you just a little bit. These people's lives were changed, but error was sown among them so distinctly that they started emphasizing the holy roller in business instead of the reading and the preaching of God's Word. I'm going to go back and read this because not maybe have you heard all of this. I went into this meeting in the evening. The door was locked, but the windows were being opened. I placed myself near one of them and saw that the church within was crowded to almost suffocation. People went to these meetings to see something new. They didn't have television. They didn't have radio back then. They had excitement here. Like in Mexico, they go to the bullfights and the chicken bites. And in America, in early America, they went to the bullfights and the bear fights and the dog fights. They catch wolves and, and uh, see if one of their dogs could fight harder than wolf or whatever. It's all, it's excitement. It is thrill. It's, it's an adrenaline. And that's what's happening here now. I saw that the church within was crowded almost to suffocation. The preacher indulged in a long pauses and occasionally loud elevations of voice, which were always answered by the audience in deep groans. When the prayer that followed the sermon had ended, the minister descended from the pulpit and the doors were thrown open. And a considerable number of the audience departed. Understanding, however, that something was yet to follow, with considerable difficulty, I obtained admission. The minister had departed. The doors were again closed, but almost 400 persons remained. One, apparently, of the leading members gave out a hymn. Then a brother was called upon to pray, and he roared and ranted like a maniac. And the male part of the audience groaned, and the female shrieked. And a man sitting next to me shouted, a youth standing by me continually for a half hour was bawling. 
Oh, Jesus, come down. Oh, Jesus, come down. Oh, my dear Jesus, come down. Come down and bless me. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, come down and bless me. At a small pace further, a girl about 11 years of age was in convulsions. An old woman whom I concluded was her mother stood on a seat and holding her up in her arms that the, her ecstasies might be visible to the whole assembly. In another place, there was a convocation of holy sisters sending forth awful yells. A brother addressed them with a voice which might almost rival a peal of thunder and the whole congregation occasionally joining in responsive to the notes. The madness now became threefold increased. And such the scene presented itself as I never have pictured in my imagination and as I trust for the honor of true religion and the human nature I shall never see again. Had the inhabitants of Bedlam been turned loose, they couldn't have exceeded what I saw. From 40 to 50 were praying aloud and extemporaneously at the same moment of time and yet were kicking and bawling and creaming and jumping and clapping their hands and crying in all in chorus. Now the camp meetings they had out there and when these people would go in the fifths they'd hold on to a, a part of a stump and they'd roll in the ground and scream and crawl and buy and, and, and bark like dogs and crawl on their fours and screaming and bawling and barking and biting and snapping at the air. The late hours were kept, no doubt, aided by the tendency to a morbid excitement of the nervous system. They continued up and sometimes till 4 o'clock in the morning, and it was not uncommon to, to spend the whole night in these orgies. To compensate for this loss of sleep, they would deliberately spread out their great coats and take a nap during the sermon. During the sermon. They didn't want to miss excitement. They'd take a nap during the preaching. You hear that? The Word of God meant nothing. The truth seems to be there was no regular hours for anything, no regular intermission for eating or sleeping, and there were no seated hours for public worship. And the meeting might be said to last all day and night. Cooking, eating, sleeping, and the like processions were all going on simultaneously with the religious service. And then there were Baptist revivals that went on sanely <laughs> during this period of time. There was a great revival. The Spirit of God was working, but the Spirit of Error was working also. There was a whole lot more in the Spirit of Error than there were in the Spirit of God. <clears throat> the Baptists were great gainers by the revival, and multitudes were added to the churches. The great revival among the Baptists in Kentucky, says Benedict, Benedict's history, uh, began in Boone County on the Ohio River and its progress extended to the Ohio, Licking, and Kentucky Rivers, branching out into the elements adjoining them. It spread fast in different directions and said in a short time almost every part of the state was affected by its influence. People, the Spirit of God was working, but the Spirit of error was working. And it calls a truce that uh, the, a lie can get a hundred miles before truth can get its boots on. Now, we're thankful for all these additions to these Baptist churches. But what confusion spread and still is spreading in the world today, it spread 
until the charismatic movement affected every group of churches. It is computed that 10,000 were baptized and added to the Baptist churches in the course of two or three years. This great work progressed among the Baptists in a much more regular manner than the people abroad generally supposed. They were indeed zealously affected and much engaged, and many of the ministers baptized a number of neighbor churches from two to four hundred each. And two of them baptized about five hundred each in the course of a revival. People wanted to hear the Word of God. The Spirit of God was changing lives in America. But the spirit of error was greatly at work. Among all of this comes A.A. Allen, Oral Roberts, Amy Simple McPherson, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Seventh-day Adventists, Armstrong Church of God, Mormonism. All of this was confusing. People would be very confused of what was going on. And the Spirit of God was working and the Spirit of Satan was working in America. Because this is the period of time when all of the, of the cults began and charismatic movement began. And there were ten of them to one Baptist. Maybe more. But throughout the whole, they preserved a good degree in decorum and order. Collins gives a good deal of detailed information in this point. He said, During the revival, large additions were made to the churches in every quarter of the state. The Elkhorn Association, at its annual meeting in 1801, reported an addition of 3,011 members. That's a lot of people. The Spirit of God was working. The Spirit of error was working, too. Members by baptism during the current year and in 1802... An accession to 12 churches was reported making the whole number of 5,300 new members. To the South Kentucky associations were almost equal to those of the Elkhorn Association. The Tate's Creek Association reported in 1801 the addition of 1,148 members by baptism. The Salem Association shares a large in the blessings of revival. It receives upwards of 2,000 members. Dr. Spencer, the Kentucky Baptist historian, thus sums up the situation among the Baptists in northern Kentucky where they were by far more numerous. The revival began and continued its close in a decorous, orderly manner. In their upper... Now, it, they keep saying in a... In a a decorous, orderly matter. The churches, Baptist churches, had church services. And they was preaching all day long. There was no falling out, no rolling around, no barking like dogs or anything like that. There was none of that. And people were baptized and people were saved. Now, among the churches of error, they had people baptized too. But they had young people seven, eight, and ten years old preaching in those services. Does that remind you of some of the things? I had a a close friend of mine that was raised up. He was a child evangelist among the charismatic movement. Name was Bill. And he grew up among that group and he preached and preached and preached. He finally got saved later and became a Baptist. And then he wrote a book taking the confusion out of tongues and the charismatic movement. 
He was raised in it, and there was a spirit leading him, but it was not the spirit of God. In the upper Green River country, the East Tennessee, where the separate Baptists were most numerous, there were more excitement and some falling and jerking. Okay, and this was among the separate Baptists. In the Middle Tennessee, they're called West Tennessee, the strange exercises did not prevail among Baptists at all. In the lower Green River country, there were, were but few Baptists in the beginning of arrival, and we hear of no disorder among them. It is certain that the Baptists of Kentucky were generally exempt from the excesses of the great revival of 1800 that so sorely afflicted the Presbyterians. If you're Presbyterians, this was going on in your churches back then. If you're a Methodist, Methodists, of course the Presbyterians came out of the Catholic Church. The Methodists came out of the Church of England, which came out of the Catholic Church. All of them began the idea of church and state. And when America was founded, they didn't want to lay that down. Even after the Constitution, after the Revolutionary War, they didn't want to lay down this state church idea. It took Baptists. The only reason why you're not going to some state church today and the church, the state is not collecting tithes from your wages and giving and supporting that church is because of Baptists. That's the only reason. It's not the Presbyterians. It's not the Catholics. Not the Methodists. Not the Church of England. It's not the Anglicans or any of that, it's because of Baptists. You have the first amendment to the Constitution because of Baptists only. The strange exercises did not prevail among the Baptists. It's certain that the Baptists of Kentucky were exempt from the excesses of the Great Revival of 1800 and sorely afflicted, that sorely afflicted the Presbyterians. Instead, of it resulting in discord, it healed the whole schism among Baptists. They wanted to get together. They wanted to do missionary work in home missions and foreign missions, both. The revival had an especially happy effect on the Baptists in disposing them to make more efforts to heal some unhappy divisions that existed among them and enlarging the spirit of missions. Heretofore, their missionary operations had been confined to sending their ministers to look after their destitute brethren in Kentucky. This is home missions. And in the adjacent borders of Tennessee, Indiana, and Ohio. But in 1801, at the meeting of the Elkhorn Association, which comprised one-third of the Baptists in the state and probably more than two-thirds of their wealth and influence, a request came up from the Elkhorn Association to send missionaries to the Indian nations. send missionaries to the Indian nations. Now, there was a great awakening in the Baptist Church of Boston under pastoral care of Stillman, Samuel Stillman. A special seriousness made its appearance in both Baptist churches early in 1803. The first indications were solemn stillness and a deep and fixed attention on the Sabbath. 
The Sabbath to them was Sunday. Remember, that rubbed off on the Catholicism. The Sabbath is not Sunday. The Sabbath is Saturday. It never will be Sunday. Okay? Simple as that. But they all call this, they all this all rubbed off on these people. And that's what we call the blue laws and all of that. That went along the Baptists and everybody else. Some Baptists, so were what they call Seventh-day Baptists, Saturday was still the Baptist, was still the Sabbath, and they went to church on on Sabbath. The work gradually continued to extend from week to week, through two or three years. It has been unusual during the fall and winter and spring months, while the evenings were sufficiently long for the people to tarry after the blessings, and frequently some uh, minister present had again address them and sometimes two or three had spoken and prayed. The custom seems to arise out of the feeling of the people. They appeared loath to leave the place. I'm going to tell you something. When I was a young Christian I couldn't get enough preaching of the Word of God. I couldn't get enough. I could not get enough. I think it shows now. <laughs> Just a little bit. Going to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night was not enough. I was so hungry in the Word of God, I read the Bible, Scriptures daily, daily, daily. I remember Brother Ray Hernandez coming to, and you know, he was a gangster. He grew up, he didn't go to school or anything hardly at all. He, he was a gangster. That's what he did. And when he got saved out there in the barrio with bullets flying out there, I led him to the Lord about midnight one night. From that period of time on, he was hungry for the Word of God. And he would be working around there in different places, and I was teaching classes during the week. And he'd come in on his lunch hour and start listening to whatever I was preaching in the church. And he didn't want to go back to work. <laughs> he didn't want to go back to work. And he'd make excuses sometimes when he did go back to work. He had to hear the rest of the message. I remember him telling him about that later. I didn't know what he was doing back then. He said, I didn't want to go back to work. I want to hear the rest of that message. If you were preaching two hours, I wanted to hear all two hours. Because I was hungry. He would sit there in the church services and tell his wife to keep the kids away from him. I'm going to listen to that preacher. And you have to remember it right. He couldn't hardly read or write then. You know that man got a college education in that church and he learned the Word of God. He loved it. He was saturated with it. He couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't either. There's no doubt that they would be tarried until midnight had the exhortations been continued. They didn't want to leave the church. The number gathered in the first church in 127 and into the second 185. And all of these two societies have been the principal sharers in this work. It has not been confined to them. Persons from almost every society in town and numbers from adjacent towns had frequently attended to our lectures. They were preaching the Word of God. It's different when you preach the Word of God. It makes a difference, people. I remember preaching as a young minister and I didn't have much to say. I just read the Bible and boy, God blessed it. I remember going to Bethel Church one time over there by Skateland, by the Kern County Fairgrounds. I went over and preached in that service one night and it was a youth youth rally. 
Seven young people were saved at my preaching of the Word of God, and five came for baptism that night. And I tell you what, it wasn't much of a sermon, but it was the Word of God. I went up to Porterville one time, and, I, and I'm driving a car that could hardly get out of town. But I'm going in these different places preaching. I went to Shafter, I went to Wasco, and she preaching all over the place. And half of these churches were without pastors. And I go preach for them as often as I could. I went all the way up toward Fresno and beyond Fresno, all over these little bitty towns, all over the place, preaching, 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 and hoping I'd get home. Every time I preached the Word of God, people were saved. They were saved. I think I told you one time I went up and preached at a little old church, and, and I went to that church. I, I taught Sunday school. I preached in the morning. I taught Baptist training course, and I preached at night. That's four sermons on Sunday. And I went in there, and everybody left. When I pre after I got through teaching Sunday school and preaching, they all left, except for this young boy. And this young boy, his mother didn't come because he didn't want her in the church because she'd been divorced. She'd been divorced. She, she was a black sheep. But the boy was coming, and she would read the Bible at home, and he would tell her what the preacher said, all this kind of stuff. While I was there in those four sermons, that boy surrendered to the ministry. And he went to the seminary. As far as I know, he preached the Word of God. But I went to the mother's house, and they lived out in a, a shanty town with a, just a clapper house, and they had a yard sale out in front. Well, that's how they made a little money selling things. I went in that house, and she'd cook fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy and all this. And I tell you what, that was one of the most wonderful meals I ever ate. It had peas and carrots and different things, all cooked on a wood-burning cook stove. And for dessert, we had fried pie. Fried apricot or fried apple pies. I can't remember what it was now, but we had fried pies. I went back to church and here everybody else showed up, not paying attention to me. And my boy, when I was when I was in between the services, he said, These people aren't going to pay you anything but come and preach, Brother Phillips. But we want you to take something from the yard sale. We want you to have something. His mother that they denounces the black sheep was paying for the preaching and feeding the preacher. And that boy surrendered to the ministry of God. Let's go on now. Where the Word of God is preached, people's lives change and people do something. We have reason to believe that many have reaped the saving advantages. The work was still and without confusion. The gospel preached was principally blessed. Almost everything seemed to preach. The converts generally had deep sense of depravity in their own heart and of the infinite evil and sin as committed against the holy God. It reclaimed the profane swearer, the gambler, the Sabbath breaker, and it made the young men a sober mind. Great revivals were experienced throughout New England also. This is your Baptist heritage. How would you like to go behind the Catholic Church, go behind these churches that were imprisoning these Indians and beating them, and uh, sometimes beating them to death, molesting the girls, neutering them because they were getting pregnant by the priest? 
all of this going on. If you want to look a little bit about that, watch the movie The Education of the Little Tree. By the way, my family, my my grandfather was Cherokee Indian. He was a Cherokee bootlegger. That reminded me so much of me. You look at the education of the little tree and what happens. Many of these things happen back then. It's hard to go behind error and redeem people. It is hard for me to preach in this valley where I live because people don't know what the truth is. They think a Christian is anybody that goes to church, whether he's a Mormon, a Catholic, a pres or a, a, a whatever. They think anybody that names God is a Christian. A Seventh-day Adventist, uh, and some of them are, as you know. But the Jehovah Witnesses, they're good Christians. They're not Christians. Mormons are not Christians. Jehovah's are not Christians. They take Christ and make him something different than what he is. He's a messenger, not God. The Jesus that I preach to you is the God that came down from heaven to save your soul. He came down as your substitute. He lived a perfect life for basically 33 and a half years, died on the cross of Calvary for your sins, was raised for your justification, and he's alive forevermore. And he's the God of heaven. He's the creator. That's who Jesus is. He's not your older brother as Mormonism. He's not a angel, as Jehovah's Witnesses say. He's not a helper to get you to heaven, as many religions say. He gets to heaven, period. Our Father, we send this message out today for your honor and glory that people might learn what we had in America, but what it took to get it and what it may take to keep it. With this religious freedom and the right of speech, freedom of speech. Father, please forgive me where I fail you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.